Abolition. Abolition. Billy, Billy. Some men came to see the general just the other day. They call themselves uh, abolitionists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They say that this uh, this per- person in Philadelphia called Thomas Paine sent them. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what they said? What they said? They said that they're going to free all the Negroes. Yeah, that's the way it's going to come. It's going to come through their, their freedom, through their work. During the war, we met some abolitionists in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, uh, in Massachusetts uh-huh. and also uh, in, uh, in New Jersey. And them, ab- them abolitionists, well, they got a plan for freeing the Negroes. Billy, I'm with you. I think this is the way that we're going to get our freedom. Let them abolitionists work their man.
Abolition. You just heard the colonial slaves discussing freedom, and that was followed by freedom, the staple singers, I'll Take You There. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6th Century and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archive podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org, also abolitionistscenter.com. Abolition Today is also available on all major podcast platforms and is simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, fam. I'm still over here nodding my head to, I'll take you there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, that was a good one to start off with, and I'm sure my mother is appreciating that one as well. (laughs) So last week, uh, for those who uh, didn't catch the show, we Max and I kicked off season three with updates on the slavery abolition movement and numerous news stories that happened since our season season two finale back in November. This week is something truly special. Now, you all have heard uh, Jamelia Land call in dozens of times within the past two years with many of those calls, including her husband speaking with us while incarcerated. Well, after 24 years, we're pleased to be welcoming ACA3 co-author Samuel N. Brown live as he is finally released without being extorted by Global Tell Links, a chorus, or any of the other robber barons who exploit the families of the incarcerated. We'll discuss his experiences, and we'll ask the question, what is freedom? Now, to our new listeners and to those who've forgotten about ACA 3, that's the Assembly Constitutional Amendment 3, which proposes to remove slavery language allowing for involuntary servitude from the California. Now, of course, we'll have powerful music mixes like the one you just heard, uh, poetry, and the voices of the ancestors reclaimed without bridging the gap segment. So before we start, Matt, tell us about that opening track that, you, you know, great mix you had on that. And also, you know, how was your week? Oh, man, my week was, uh, it's been crazy. My whole damn, well, not my whole family, but my daughter's whole family has COVID from the five-year-old all the way up to the parents. So all of them have it. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what to say about that. I'm just praying that everything turns out all right for them. Um, right. Other than that, you know, as always, I stay busy as I possibly can. Um, shout out to my man, Mad Marlin, out in KC. He's using mm-hmm. an image of me as the cover for his new single, Middle Finger. <laughs> and he got the picture, yes. he got the picture yeah. of me uh, putting the middle finger up to George Washington's statue in Columbia, South Carolina. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yeah very appropriate there. Absolutely. <laughs> no doubt, man. Uh, so that happened. And then uh, yesterday we had our first uh, meeting of the states for the Abolish Slavery National Network State Operations Team, and uh, that was pretty epic. Just 
seeing all these different faces and people that are directly involved in making this change in their states while simultaneously supporting a federal movement to do the same thing. As a matter of fact, it was uh, Sam's first opportunity to participate. You know, he's one of the co-authors of the bill, and he should have been in on that for a while now, but this was his first chance to participate, and I think he was highly impressed with what he saw. Uh, So that's been awesome, man. As far as the opening track, uh, I found this uh, audio or or video where they pretended to be colonial slaves uh, by a public school. I forget the name of it. I'll put it on the Facebook page. And they had a conversation about freedom. (laughs) And I heard that. Mm -hmm. I was like, wait a minute. Let me run that back. He said, let them abolitionists work their magic. And that's how I feel these days. Let us do what we got to do. We believe in this a thousand percent. We know it's going to work. All we ask is your support, your patience, your time, and your effort to get it done with us. We're tired of chasing shadows. We're tired of treating symptoms. We want to get right to the source of the problem. Um, You know, and and there's just so many arguments coming from different directions that shouldn't even exist. Like, we need to have a conversation about the pros and cons of ending slavery. Like I've heard that be requested, like <laughs> wow. the pros and cons, you know what I mean? No uh, conversations like that. The, the bottom line is slavery is legal. It's right there in the constitution. It's also in practice. It's right there in the largest prison population to have ever existed in the known universe. It's right there. Right. Should we end it? Yes or no. Not let's work out the details about what we're going to lose if we end it. We're talking about people's lives and freedoms and the destruction of entire communities leading up to and part of a freaking genocide with slavery and human trafficking. You know, and we got to convince you that you're going to save money. That's how you're going to get involved. It's crazy, man. We believe in this, as I said, and we want you to believe in it, too. That's what we hear every week. Laying out this foundation, providing the facts and the information, both historically and presently. Yusuf? Absolutely. And, you know, I would I would say, uh, just as a caveat, for those that's not down, just get out of the way or get run, run over. Because as we've seen, you know, just since launching the Abolish Slavery National Network in August of 20, uh, 2020, just the tremendous growth that's happened. Like we want to say we have an avalanche that's rolling and it's picking up steam and it's getting larger and larger. So for those that, you know, want to impede, it's it's best for them to just get out of the way because there's no stopping this because as our, as, as we said, as our uh, season three theme, you know, that it's all about voting and it's not about voting for a particular party. We're not voting for someone, but we're voting about something. And that thing is ending slavery. And like you just so vividly uh, painted the picture, you know, it's either you're for it or against it. Like there's no in between. You can't straddle the fence on this topic. You know, either you're for slavery or you're against slavery. And that's it. And so that's it. uh, And, you know, we tried so many other things. I'm tired of trying the same old crazy stuff over and over again and getting expecting different results. This is something we've never done. It's something our ancestors laid down their lives to achieve and only got almost all the way. Let's take it across the end. Let's get it finished for them. Right. You know, (laughs) 
So, right. yeah, and, and people, you know, how did Frederick Douglass say this? As a matter of fact, let me read his quote. You know, they, they, want, they don't want to put in what it's going to take to get this done. They don't understand that the struggle may be a moral one, it may be a physical one, and it may be both moral and physical, but it must be a struggle. Power concedes nothing without demand. It never did, and it never freaking will. It never will. That's right. What any people will quietly submit to, and you have found the exact measure of injustice and wrong, which will be up imposed upon them. And these will continue till they are either resisted with either words or blows or with both. The limits of tyrants are prescribed by the endurance of those whom they oppress. In the light of these ideas, Negroes will be hunted at the north and held and flogged at the south so long as they submit to these devilish outrages and make no resistance, either moral or physical. You know, they want, they want to see forests, but they don't want to plant seeds. And this is the seed we're talking about right here. This is right. the new thing, the change. You plant this seed, you open this door, and the world changes. If you don't open the door, you got the same old, same old. You su- same old, same old. You know, uh, it it it, re- it reminds me of uh, the the author, philosopher, whatever you want to call him, Leo Tolstoy. You know, and he said, "I sit on a man's back, choking him and making him carry me, and yet assure myself and others that I'm very sorry for him and wish him to lighten his burden by all means, except by getting off his back." You know, and that's that's what I'm hearing. As you're reading Frederick, that's that uh, Tolstoy quote started coming to me, and I'm like, man, you know, uh, everyone can think of every, or they can compare everything to slavery except slavery itself. You know, when we present them with the exact thing of slavery, they're like, oh, they call it all other kinds of names, but if they have to you know, work 60 hours a week or they're only getting paid, you know, $6 an hour. They can call all of that stuff slavery. But you think the things that are actually slavery, where people are being forced to work, they're being beaten if they don't work, they're being severely punished, they're losing time, or people just being hunted down in the streets, as we just saw uh, what Jeanette shared with us earlier, something that uh, just happened, at least we just got this information shortly before we came on the air, you know, they won't see the ties to slavery without seeing that as being slavery. And I'm sure of many of the things that we're going to hear from Brother Samuel when he comes on, they're not going to, many people aren't going to get it, that that's slavery. They'll have every other definition to give it. My people die for lack of knowledge, and that is the reason why we made it our business to define the international legal definition of what slavery is, to define the international legal definitions of what genocide is. And tonight, we are going to do our damnedest to define what freedom is. Uh, And with that, I want to go ahead and introduce our guests for tonight. If you could open the phone lines for me while I read this file. Uh, tonight, as you said, sure. we ended our year with Brother Sam behind bars as our guest. And we're starting our years 
with him outside that cage, seeing freedom for the first time. He is the co-author of California's Abolition Bill, ACA3, and co-founder of the Anti-Violence Safety and Accountability Project, ASAP. Samuel Nathaniel Brown is a philosopher, spoken word poet, and organizer. His theory of emotional illiteracy-based criminality posits that addressing adverse childhood experiences and providing social, emotional learning can help people overcome or avoid criminality and realize their fullest potential as human beings. Sam's work includes the 10-point program, the Boys to Men workshop, Survivor Offender Meditation Seminar, and the Brain Project, which are offered at multiple California Departments of Corrections and Rehabilitation facilities. He is currently collaborating on restorative justice based programs with leaders at NASA, CSU, Sacramento, and the McGeorge School of Law. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, help us to welcome Brother Samuel Nathaniel Brown and Sister Jamelia Lane. Brother Thank you, Sam, Brother Max. Thank you, Brother Yusuf. I am. Thank you very much. Thank y'all for this opportunity and for inviting me here. Oh, Word, we wouldn't man. have it any other way, brother. Uh, <laughs> just right. for the listeners that are tuning in probably for the first time, if you don't know who Jamelia Land is, she is the wife of Samuel, Samuel Brown and a powerhouse of uh, activism and abolitionism herself. She just won uh, awards recently along with Senator Kam Lager uh, out in California and Sacramento as well as being one of the uh, committee leaders for the Abolish Slavery National Network and on the board of directors for the March On Foundation, among other things. So we got the, the power couple up in here today. And, brother, I got the first question for you. How does yes, it feel to be out? Uh, that's, that's the question of the day right there, Matt. Everyone asks me, how does it feel? I am... Um, of course, I got to say it feels good. It feels real good to no longer be confined to that little bitty cage and to be so closely surveilled because, you know, it's a constant state of surveillance 24-7. It feels great. However, I would be less than truthful if I told you my heart was not still with the men and women behind bars and I just I feel an obligation to get immediately to work to do whatever I can to help um, unravel the system that that oppresses so many and decimates so many communities. And for that, I'm told by many I need to slow down and just enjoy being home and take my time. But I feel I feel an obligation and a burden. I, I feel really good about being home. However, I also feel there's no time to rest and relax because the prison doesn't rest and relax. The criminal justice system doesn't rest and relax. They're not taking the mm-hmm. So I'm not in. I'm not under the illusion that I'm just supposed to transition and all of a sudden kick back. I feel like I'm ready to go. Do you have time traveler syndrome? You know, because it's been 24 years that you've been since you've been out here in this in this world, and things have changed so much. Do you, do you feel like time has passed you by and you got to catch up now? There's so much new to learn. That's a great question. Time traveler syndrome. I like the way you put that. So, I. By the grace of God and a lot of hard work, I was free in my mind before I became physically free. And part of mm-hmm. being free in my mind inside of the prison system was realizing that 
when the day finally did come that I would be released, that there's a possibility I might feel the desire to try to catch up and keep up with the Joneses because of all the time that I was locked up. And from my personal observations, I know to do that could put me in harm's way because I wouldn't be thinking rationally. So mentally, because I was free in my mind already, I'm not dealing with jet lag. I'm not dealing with time travel syndrome. I'm stepping mm-hmm. out of presence. And by the grace of God, I have an incredible wife and that has helped me stay relevant. You know, so I'm stepping out relevant. And therefore, I don't feel I'm dealing with jet lag based on the fact that I was already free in my mind before I left the prison. Well, I, I guess I was referring more to the technological advancements because up until today, every time I've spoken to you, it's been from a wall phone. Probably the last wall phones okay. on earth are inside prisons, you know what I mean? And now you mm-hmm. have like the technology at your fingertips, uh, the computers with access to anything you want, no more blocks to tell you what you can and can't read or see or do or go to. It can be a little bit mind-blowing, I would suspect, you know? Like, I got one of your first emails. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And was it terrible? Was it terrible? No. <laughs> it's good, man. It's good. Okay. I got it. I'm going to hang it up and frame it. I'm telling you. Oh, man, that's what's up. So in, in regards to that, so, you know, something that we're working on over at ASAP is a hackathon for the youth and bringing computer literacy skills to the formerly incarcerated as well as the, the inner city youth um, so that they can become part of the workforce that that's untapped inside the inner city and the marginalized communities, you know. And based on that fact, to the best of my ability, I try to remain abreast of technology as far as, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, um, computer programming, computer development. Though I didn't have an opportunity to actually engage any of these things, I constantly read about them. And I, I, I live voyeuristically through the people who were on the street. So actually put my hands on them, yeah, I fumble here and there. I'm, 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 when I'm trying to type and text, I'm much slower than everybody else. That's for certain, you know, <laughs> the, the things like that. But for the most part, Max, I, I always made a point to stay abreast because I knew the time would come. It's like it's like the samurai that was training in the woods. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he knew one day they were going to call him for a mission, so he had to do all he can to prepare. And when you're incarcerated behind those walls, you have to do everything that you can to prepare for when you're released that you can hit the ground running. You have to study history. You have to educate yourself. You have to um, work on your body and stay physically fit. I mean, these are all the things you have to stay abreast of the current, the current events. You have to improve your vocabulary. You have to talk to your family. You have to evolve emotionally. You have to shape arrested development and emotional illiteracy. These are things that you have to work on so you can step back out and not be institutionalized or, or decrease the potential for you being extremely institutionalized and not a deficit. So these are some of the things that I've really focused on over the years. And by the grace of God, um, based on my, my hard work and the support network that I have, it hasn't been as, as damaging as you would think for me personally. You've managed to achieve some great things while inside, like uh, getting your degrees. You want to tell us a little bit about what degrees you received while you were inside? Because when you came out, the first thing you put on was your robe, and you had your, you know, your uh, <laughs> emblems going down. Yeah, the cap and gown. Good, mm-hmm. right? The cap and gown going on. <laughs> so yeah. tell us a little yeah, bit sir. about what you achieved while you was there. Okay. Thank you. So I have an associate of arts in social science. I um, graduated with honors 
from Lassen Community oh. College. I have an Associate of Arts transfer degree in sociology, where I was the first person in the state of California to graduate from the Lake Tahoe Community College in a crossroad program, in a crossroad setting. And I now have my bachelor's degree in communication studies that I earned from California State University, Los Angeles, as part of a cohort of men who paved the way for the Second Chance Pell Grant to uh, actually be reinitiated nationwide because of the success of our program. And so I'm, I'm really honored to have accomplished those feats because prior to coming to prison, I had lost all respect for education. And when I say that, I mean for the civic system and how it works, as well as mm-hmm. all the way to a personal level. I, I just lost respect for learning. And what I, when I, it was rekindled inside the prison setting, I really was able to re- get a grasp on how transformative educational is. I mean, education is. It's, it's a powerful transformative tool. And so when I stepped out in the road, you know, it was uh, <laughs> Jamelia who who suggested and recommended and put all of that together for me, man. It was really dope that she did that because she, she understood the significance of what I had accomplished in prison. And I'm someone who I do things, and I don't take the time to actually think about what I've done until somebody else brings them up. And so I remember, um, I'm going to say this and, and, and be quiet on this subject, when I went to the prison, when I came to the prison system 24 years ago, I was taught by a group of men that the prison is a hidden university, you know, if you want to apply yourself, you can really learn, and you can step out more enlightened, sort of like Mandela or Malcolm X or the host of other people who, who went through the prisons and then turned them into schools. And so I had vowed a long time ago that even though the majority of my studies was autodidactic, I was reading and studying and learning on my own, that I would walk out more informed and, and better able to proceed than I was before I went. And just prior to my release, I had a young Kelly. Um, his name was Craig Farley. And when he and I were having a discussion, I was talking about the Hidden University, he, you know, we were talking about HBCUs, and then he said prison is a historical black correctional university. And ain't that messed up? That's <laughs> so messed up. But it, it had, it had a, a, a thing of truth to it, man. It was really sad. So that's been my educational journey as far as uh, the degrees that I've earned. That's absolutely amazing. And as you mentioned, you were already making history from inside, becoming the first in the state to graduate from that at the top of your class from that particular school. That is pretty awesome. And also helping to bring back the Pell Grants as well. Uh, so you've been moving and shaking inside, keeping yourself and your mind focused on the future and preparing, as you said, for when you come home, uh, which leads me to I, the I, next if I may, thing. If I, may just inter- if I just may interject real quick. And I was he actually did it coming to you. That was my plan to bring you in next. <laughs> he, 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 carried, he carried a 4.0 GPA the entire time while going right. through a speak, pandemic. Speak up for him. That's right. Speak up while for him. While going through <laughs> a pandemic. Like, while like catching he just said, COVID, he would overlook something like right, that. That's right. While riding three, all that. So I'm going to toot his horn. Toot, toot. Thank you. <laughs> Listen, I ain't trying to hear about y'all pirates. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. You sound like my mother-in-law. Don't nobody want to hear about that. <laughs> Get, yeah. a room, man. Get a room, man. Get a room. That was one of the things I wanted to ask you, Jamelia. Like your family, your household is almost whole. Uh, you still have uh-huh. a son that, that is by uh-huh. far at this time, but your husband is home. How do you feel uh, at this point? 
Oh man, that's um it's crazy because the best way to describe the preparation like in the end for him coming home was like being preparing for a baby. Like I had the car seat and the blankets and I was just, you know, waiting for the water to break and it was time to rush to the hospital. And mm. the newness, all of the the newness of his life being delivered from the pits of hell into this new world and wanting to ensure that he had a safe place and he had the things that he needed and that, you know, he he was going to feel a sense of safety and security because everything was so new and so different. Um, being blessed, like I recognize with Samuel that he is a gift to the world. He is truly one of God's chosen, and I have been blessed to, number one, just know him. My life has been rich, enriched like I could, could not even begin to explain. But more importantly, I recognize that he is a gift that God gave me. So the responsibility that I have to him is far different than anything else because I'm held accountable to God for what happens with him while he is in my care. He is genuinely my best friend. I want nothing but the best for him. And he has taught me, like, you know, understanding that I was walking around physically free in the world and I was imprisoned in my mind because of my trauma and the complexity of them and creating a safe place for me to be able to really deal with them and process them and become a whole, healthy, happy person. Um, It has been, like, unreal it's unreal. It's like a, a shot of dopamine and uh, uh, just all types of stuff. Like it's a it's another world. It's another world. I'm looking at life through a different lens. You know, I look at everything around me. Um, you know, I had a moment one time we had come back from the prison. It was after his graduation, and um, you know, it was another historic moment in that families had never been on the yard, right? And I got to see for the first time his view of 24 years and the dirt and the dust and no life, but the birds, the pigeons that stayed on top of, you know, this one building um, and, and just really taking it all in. And I was at a stoplight one day and the wind was blowing and I saw how the 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 leaves were blowing in the trees and I just broke down crying thinking that he hasn't even been able to see the wind blow the leaves in the trees you know and like it made me go back to the house and want to tear CDCR's head off and like just you know those are the things that have have driven me Um, and so I'm, I'm more than ecstatic to have my friend home but most importantly like the gift of to the world that he is um, and knowing how much better the world is with him free and in it. Um, yeah, man. That's I'm a beautiful high. thing to have a, yeah, for a, real. a partner who believes in you in such a way. No pressure, Sam. No pressure. Coming back to you, brother, as a matter of fact, I want to give you a, a choice at this point, right? As you probably know, I am a spoken word artist myself, a lifelong member of the community. Like, right? He's gonna do it. And I love spoken word. He's gonna do it live. He's gonna do it live. I'm gonna tell you right now. He's gonna do it. One of the things that that 
that really blew my mind is as soon as you got out, you did, you know, your mm-hmm. cap and gown, you put your suit on, and then you broke it all down in poetry. That was like, this is my first statement I'm going to say, and it's a poem. <laughs> and I was like, that made it so epic. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. So I have a recorded version of that where you did it shouting out to people uh, a couple of days ago, or you can yes, do sir. it live. So it's a little long, and I don't want to wear you out because we're going to keep you here tonight and have some conversations. So would you like to do it live, or do you want me to go ahead and play that little mix that I put together for you? Well, you did a great job on the mix, first and foremost, and I was honored. And um, a moment ago, you said it's nice to have a, a partner that supports you, and I, I love that. I do. But I want to say she doesn't only support me. She's like Harriet Tubman with the shotgun to your back. You're just not going <laughs> to turn around. Y'all, y'all going to leave this plantation. You dig? <laughs> nah, so I busted live, Max. It's good. No doubt. All right. Uh, ladies and you know. gentlemen, you're going to hear it live here on Abolition Today, an exclusive. And uh, this is, <clears throat> the poem is called Tales from the Plantation. Brother Samuel Brown. My name is Samuel Nathaniel Brown, and I'm one of the ones they were never supposed to set free. Not because I'm a bad guy, but rather because they know I'm going to come back to get the rest like me. And they ain't going to stop until I'm R.I.P. So kill me now. Tales from the plantation, better yet fresh from the plantation. So fresh and fat, the eyes can still feel the sting and the open wounds from masses whip across my back. Yeah, fresh like that. It was me and Nat, Turner, Denmark Vesey, Tucson Lovisha, Harriet Tubman, Gabrielle Prosser, Booker T. Washington, Frederick Douglass, Ida B. Wells, and Zora Neale Hurston that fed my soul. As I turn page after page, realizing my purpose and better understanding my role in the grand scheme of things, see? The more my family and friends died while I was on the inside, the more I cried and tried to hide beside my pride, the more I imbibed that which was inscribed about those who gave their life and their stride to project, protect, and provide the sacred message that I was not here to merely survive but actually be alive. Imagine that. The more I juxtaposed the American experience with mine, the more it became clear. God didn't place me here just to be your looping proletariat, to dedicate my entire existence to chasing after a big screen TV and some 30-inch rims for your modern-day European chariot. I ain't no scary cat. or no Judas is scary yet. I'm the one with the cross that's bearing that. When I left the concentration camps, those who couldn't come along said, speak for us. And I promised them I would, so that responsibility, I'm carrying that. And it could bring me to an early death, but I'm staring at eye to eye, face to face, head to head, toe to toe, neck to neck, body approved, read my lips, my heart don't pump no fear, I ain't scared to die. I repeat, I am not afraid to die. Run that. Disrespecting my mama, disrespecting my sisters, disrespecting myself, ill and still and dealing, receiving life in prison, going hard in the prison, riots on the yard, I done done that. And now I come back with ice on my testicles and smell of salt in my nostrils. Considered to be hostile and intolerable, I think they just upset me because I become a bit more knowledgeable. Something I ain't entirely got to thank their colleges for. For the majority of my study was autodidactic. That means I did the mathematics and realized that in addition to the division of our factions that they caused with the fraction of humanity that they bestowed when they subtracted and extracted the resources from our community but didn't calculate the remainder would be an exponential increase in this revolutionary desire to get free. Which brings us back to me. 
<laughs> and my beef with the ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, a group of politicians and corporations with an agenda so filthy that just saying their name makes me feel like I need to wash my mouth out with soap and sterilize my tonsils to keep this so clean, nice, to ensure you get what I mean. Know what I mean? And if you really want to talk insight and collective causative factors, then we need to chase this back beyond my minds and my pops and connect the dots to 1619. Because that's when the America officially decreed that my black life didn't matter, that I was forever to be on the lowest rung of the socioeconomic ladder, that if I wanted to see my past, I had to do so through a glass that was shattered, a diaspora that was scattered, a cultural fabric torn and tattered, abandoned critical race theory and Dr. Popper, the narrative that had been euphemized and padded to protect the conscience and as far as those who oppress and transgress, I will not have it. Nevertheless, I digress. Back to modern-day slavery in the prison industrial complex. So we fast forward from 1619 to 1865, where we debunk yet another lie, which is the Civil War was fought to emancipate people that look like you and I. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. The Civil War was nothing more than an antitrust suit litigated in blood on the battlefield to break the monopoly that the southern states had on the latest technology because it was slavery that revolutionized industry. Not the steam engine, it was slavery that built the wealth of nations all across these European increased GDP to levels that had never before been seen. Slavery was the latest technology. It created jobs that they could do, eradicated ones that they didn't want to do, built the wealth of nations, so don't tell me about Abraham Lincoln or them other white men in the 39th Congress. They weren't concerned about equality and equity. They was focused on white supremacy and profits. As the youth, it sounded splendid when they mentioned the 13th Amendment and how it was the reason that slavery ended. But now my understanding of the system is so much more intimate that any time they mention it, quite frankly, I get offended. Because I now understand it was never abolished. It was merely conditioned on a social concept known as due process and a subsequent felony conviction. That's why your loved ones asses in prison, they can't refuse to work in the kitchen without repercussions, consequences, or restrictions. And that support services job that they issue don't even offer certification that they can use upon their release to improve their quality of living by decreasing recidivism and increasing the chance of employability. They don't pay them a wage inside the case so they can be a factor in the life of their children, pay taxes, pay court fees, and make payments to their victims. But if they make the decision to refuse the job that they're given, then, they're, they're, then the Board of Parole adherence will give them a 5 or 10 to 15 year denial and enhance their stay in prison or beat them with that 115, that modern-day whip that they're wielding. It's a bonded system predicated upon anachronistic criminological concepts from a bygone classical era. Therefore, it's incumbent upon us as a collective to evolve in our shared humanity because it's 2022 and we got to know that we can do better. Rehabilitation needs to be supplanted with citizenship training. That social-emotional learning, occupational foundations, and occupational foundations. That is our focus here at the California Abolition Act Coalition. The love we don't see, Black Allies Speak, Edify, and the Young Women's Freedom Center. And the Young Women's Freedom Center. I'm drawing a blank, y'all. I don't normally mess up either. Oh, it's, it happens to the best of this, brother. Trust me. It's all right, man. That's Take a all right. I hate that. Take I a breather. And, and if you want to start from where you ended up, uh, we could do that. 
If not, uh, we can carry the conversation. No biggie. Okay, I appreciate that. For love we don't see, Honey Young Women's Freedom Center. You know what? I'm about to come back to it, Max. I need you a blank. <laughs> all right. It's, it's all good, fam. <laughs> I understand, man. The weight of the world is on your shoulders right now. What were you telling us yesterday? Uh, and even in the poem just now, that I'm so fresh, you know, how fresh you was out. You was, it was so fresh that the gates hadn't closed yet. And he was right there spitting poetry, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yes, sir. And, that was, that was wonderful to see. There was one thing that you mentioned in the poem where you said that your understanding now of the 13th Amendment is so intimate that when they talk about it, you get offended. Brother, if I don't know that feeling, man, <laughs> like when I hear them talk about how slavery ended and all of that, it, right. even from the most well-meaning people, it just irks the hell out of me. Like, y'all, for real, <laughs> tell me if you, if yeah. you can how you came to be aware of this exception clause and its effect on our nation. And then your process uh, over time from becoming aware to becoming the author of a, the co-author of ACA three. All right. Well, first of all, as you, as an artist, you know, I hate to make mistakes. That right there breaks my heart. That never really, that never happens. Right. Oh, oh it's all right. Brother. We can take that remix and we can put that on a video for the people to see. But if you, if you want to finish it off, we can do that too. One of these days I will. So let me answer your question, <laughs> right? And I apologize to everybody. <laughs> so um, I became aware of it a long time ago, like in my studies, just in reading. And I really became aware of it once it was inflicted upon me inside the prison system when I would receive a job that I didn't want to do, and I was compelled by threat of a 115, the modern-day whip that they will. And I was told that if I didn't do the job, then I would get a 115. And early on in my prison stay, I was willing to accept those 115s. I took those lashes. You know, if they gave me a job I didn't want to do or I had a supervisor that was I felt was a racist or somebody that was just disagreeable, I would say I'm not going to work. I'm not doing it. I'm not putting up with it. You can write me up. You can write me a 115, a 230, a 345, whatever you want to do. I'm not coming. And I learned then I couldn't appeal those 115s. I mean, I could appeal them, but I would not win because they were rooted in the, the law, the statutes, and the statutes that they would quickly run to to prove that they were correct said that um, slavery and involuntary servitude were prohibited except as punishment for a crime, and that's Article One, Section 6 of the California Constitution. And so I learned about it first from studying, but then in, in real-world practice and, you know, in a contemporary setting because it happened to me. And so when we fast-forward from when I initially learned about it, to me getting a job like 20-something years later where I couldn't afford any 115s because I was scheduled to appear before the Board of Parole hearings for like the fifth time or the fourth or fifth time, and one 115 automatically sets you back five years, automatically. And I just want to break that down for people who don't understand. A 115 is the, the, the document number for a rules violation report. And so it's called the CDCR 115, Form 115. The Board of Parole Adherence typically requires that we stay disciplinary free for a minimum of five years in order to be considered suitable and be found as uh, someone that's not a risk to society, an unreasonable risk to society. So if you get a 115, though there are small, small um, cases or examples of people walking out with less than five years clean, the bulk 
of almost everyone you ever meet that went to the board and got found suitable had to have a minimum of five years clean without a 115 or a 128, which is a verbal warning written on paper. So I found myself in a position where I could not receive a 115 or a 128, and I had a job as a healthcare facility maintenance worker. That's the equivalent of a hospital janitor, you know, which is on the front line too. And so here we find ourselves in the midst of COVID. And I became the first person in the state to actually have to uh, disinfect and sanitize a COVID cell where someone that was incarcerated had tested positive and they had just rushed into the hospital because he needed to be placed on a ventilator, as well as the staff member who, who tested positive. We had to go clean her office as well. And so when I was told that I had to go in there and clean this, this cell and they just rushed this guy out on the ambulance and the nurses were terrified to be up in there, the doctors didn't want to be in there, they left all of the equipment in there buzzing and whizzing, and this man soiled underwear and everything. It was surreal. It was terrifying. I swore I could see COVID germs just dangling in the air, just waiting to pounce on me and into my lungs or something, right? Mm-hmm. And I did the job. I went in there and I did it. But after it became like every day, the, the cases were increasing, and I feared for my life. I told my, my supervisor, I'm not coming to work anymore. You know, I'm not going to work every single day. I'll work every other day or Y'all got to work with me, something, because they don't go in the cells and do anything. They just stand by and watch you. They don't clean anything. So initially they thought I was playing, but once I stopped coming to work, they told me I needed to come to work or I would receive a 115. And so upon hearing this, you know, um, because I had a high mortality rate, a potential mortality rate for COVID, I have had a collapsed lung before, I'm asthmatic, and um, that that's all you need, especially at least that's what we were being told, especially during the initial um, onslaught of COVID. So upon hearing this, of course, my family was um, really concerned and worried from my mom all the way to my wife. And Jamelia was familiar with the Abolish Slavery National Network and the work that had been taking place on a, on a nationwide scale to abolish the 13th Amendment and not only do it on the federal level but in each individual state. And so after we had a discussion, she was like, you know, why don't you do something about, you know, that, that law? about Article 1, Section 6. Why don't you write an amendment to the Constitution, and I'll do what I can to push it to, to the state representatives and see if we can't get it on the books. And so per her encouragement, I sat down and I wrote the amendment. And once I wrote it out and I sent it to her, then she did all of the footwork and the networking until eventually it got before Senator Kam Lager, and her being the warrior that she is, she immediately accepted it and placed her name on the bill. So that's how that came to be. That's an awesome story. It's a whole lot better than being bitten by a radioactive spider. I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> you <know>? Right on. <laughs> that's an awesome heroic story. And the part where, you know, Jamelia is like, why don't you do something about it? Not once did she say you are handicapped or you may have some problems doing this because of your circumstances. Nah, you could do anything. <laughs> Why don't you do something about it? <laughs> I remember that was around right. the time that we met, you know what I mean? And, and uh, you were sending me the first draft of it, uh, to, and we, we talked about it. So, yeah, that's an epic, epic thing. And, and to have, as I said earlier, a partner who is there and believes in you and is supportive of everything you're doing, that is a blessing. I, I it know is. it firsthand. It is, man. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Well, yes, you do, because, man, you're also blessed. And when we think about you know, some people say it's real, some people say it is not. But when you think about Willie Lynch and 
how the goal was to destroy the image of the black male in front of the black woman, the black children, and all the remaining um, enslaved mm-hmm. black people. You know, today, you don't have, uh, today I won't say what you don't have. I would say today I am blessed and fortunate to have a black woman that still believes in her black man. You know what I'm saying? That believes in black men who will tell me, you can do it. You know, handle it. You know, I'm, I'm looking to you for guidance. I'm looking for you for protection. Though I'm capable, I still believe in you. You know, and that's what I have in her. And I'm, I'm never, I've never been one to shy away from a challenge, especially when it's to do something righteous. Um, I want to give my co-host an opportunity to ask some questions and say some things. I know he's been waiting. I'm sorry about taking up all the space there, Yusuf. Uh, I still got questions. But go ahead, brother man. No, it's all good. And I mean, you you touched on one of them that I was going to ask. So I have a follow up. Uh, So we know, historically, when uh, people in prison have been active, you know, they've been involved in activism, that there's been pushback from the administration. And so I'm sure you've had your share and I'd like for you to share some of those experiences with us. That 115 was one of them, right? Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's, that's one way, but I'm I, sure there were many other things where, you know, they, they stopped you from being able to use the phone or cut off visits or any of these things. Yeah, I've been through uh, a number of things. I'm, I wasn't ever placed in Pelican Bay or anything in the shoe or nothing like that, but I've had my fair, my fair share of, of feeling the force and the strength of the system as it was um, wielded or inflicted upon me by those who misuse their authority and their power, right? So I take you just, just to Juneteenth, just recently, Juneteenth that passed. Mm-hmm. We, had, we had an event scheduled, you know, at the Capitol, and there were some pretty important people who were hoping to hear from me, and plus we worked tirelessly. You know, Jamelia worked tirelessly. Our entire coalition, the California Abolition Act Coalition members worked tirelessly to put this event together. And I was to call in and speak over the phone and address the audiences, uh, the audience, and, and, you know, just participate. So I had this flyer, and I spoke to the officer at, in, in, inside of the building and let him know, hey, I, I have a scheduled phone call that I signed up for the night before. And now mm-hmm. I didn't have to tell them anything but just to ensure that I would have a smooth uh, transition from my cell to the phone because they had to open the door to let me go use the phone. I went and I informed them ahead of time to let them know this is important. And so I told them the time came, the door never opened. And I was scheduled to be the first person to speak at this news conference and the event. And I felt that I was leaving everyone hanging. And so as I sat here waiting for the door to open and it never did, and I, I yelled out of the door, which is commonplace, hey, Tyler, can you open my door? They just ignored me. This went on for like 30 minutes. The phone calls are only 15 minutes. Eventually, these, these two white officers, a male and a female, came to the door and just refused to let me out. They told the, the, the guy in the tower, well, cap his door. When you, they say cap the door, that means lock the door. Because I yelled, I said, it's my fucking phone time. And that's, once I said that, the whole time I was like, hey, please, can you let me out? Hey, it's my phone time. Can somebody hear me over here? When I'm being kind, they couldn't hear me. But the moment I, I use the expletive, then all of a sudden they want to retaliate and treat me like I'm a kid. And like, oh, yeah, you, you just fucked up. That's it. You're not coming out. Um, they kept that guy's door. 
these are the games they play. And so I'm trapped mm. inside this cell, upset and pissed off, you know, but at the same time, in control of myself because I'm not the quote-unquote nigga that they want me to be. I'm a conscious black man. I'm aware. And so I'm not going to give them what, they, what they're trying to seek or get from me. So eventually my cellmate comes in, and they tell him he cannot come in the cell because they don't want to open the door because they're afraid. Of, uh, his words was because I'm in there losing my shit, right? I'm like, okay, I'm just being calm. So when they eventually open the door, I go speak to this officer. I'm like, hey, man, um, what was that about? You know, why did you treat me like that? Why did you just avoid my phone call? And he said, well, you, you yelled out the door and called call somebody, you know, called the white lady. He said, I called the white lady a bitch. I said, she's standing right there. I'm like, ma'am, you know that didn't happen. That's not true. Um, I, I, don't, I don't disrespect none of y'all, none of that type of stuff. And she said, well, he said, well, you're going to get a 115 for calling her a bitch. I'm like, really? You're going to make this up against me right here in my face? You're just going to just put this together and, and lie on me in my face? I'm, I'm 30 days out from the parole board. You know, that was June 19th. I was scheduled to go to the parole board on August 19th. And so I said, you're just going to make this up in front of my face? He said, yep, you did it. I looked at her. I said, are you going to go along with this? She said, Brown, let this be a learning lesson for you. I looked at the guy in the tower. I said, you're going to go along with this? He just shrugged his shoulders. At that moment, I felt like Emmett Till. I felt like a modern-day Emmett Till that was about to get lynched for something that uh, uh, they were saying I did with a white female that never occurred, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so in the end, I asked could I speak to his superior officer. He told me no. You know, he said, you guys only show the crop, baby. So he was trying to entice me to attack him physically. You know, uh, I've done that in my past many years ago, and I, I better understand how to proceed Instead of taking it out on the peon, I, I, I will lose out. And that's not in my best interest to do that. So I uh, didn't respond the way he wanted me to. I asked to speak to his superior officer, and he told me that I could not, that he was going to keep me locked into the building and I should take it to myself. So what I did was I went and laid on the floor because I knew once I laid on the floor, he would have to push his alarm and bring attention to what he was doing. That was my way of calling 911, right? And so... This big, this dude's like 6'4", maybe 350 pounds. He then comes and jumps on my back, tells me, quit resisting, though I'm laying on the floor proned out, pushes his alarm, the whole nine, and uh, they write me up for res- resisting the officer with the use of force 30 days before going to the board. And so this is just one example of how they misuse the authority. And by the grace of God, people who knew my character, and and um, how I carry myself and how important it was for me to appear before the board without a 115 that were in higher positions within CDCR and outside of CDCR took interest and they called the prison and they made some calls and it, they looked at this guy's 115 as well as the supplemental reports and easily distinguished that they were bogus, that they were fake. And so for the first time in the entire time that I had been locked up, the 115 was pulled before I was found guilty of it, which was a blessing. But that's one example, you know, and there are others of me being attacked and not being so fortunate of, t- of having my phone rights taken, of being locked in the cell, of being transferred surreptitiously, placed in the van and moved from one prison to another prison, just disappearing. You know, I've been through all of that. But I just that was the latest one prior to me leaving that I shared with you. Um, one of the things I do want to point out is the severity of what he was doing as he was attempting to lie about what you had done right in your face 
in that Emmett Till fashion, it could have cost you 15 years Man. of your life, which means right. 15 more years in an extremely dangerous situation where nothing is guaranteed. No tomorrows are guaranteed. That's what he was uh, playing with there. And without any remorse or any concern, for not only you, but for your family, your wife, your children, none. your mother, your father, none of that. He was just going to destroy your life because he felt like it. And that Man, is I said, straight out ooh. of the antebellum period. I said to him, I said, if you do this, you're going to kill me. It's like you're killing me. I said, I'm trying to get home before my mama dies. I literally told him and her, I said, I'm trying to get home before my mama dies. And if y'all do this, I, I might not. And he just looked at me and shrugged his shoulders. Like, you know, like, I don't care. And uh, it, was, it was really, like, really, like, bold in his, his, his lives. And so I wound up, it wound up actually becoming, um, by eternal affairs, it caught their interest because, like I said, some outside people made some phone calls and raised awareness around what was taking place. And when I was being interviewed by one of the officers, he told me, well, Brown, you got the 115 dismissed. Why don't you just let this go? Why don't you just leave it alone? You don't want anybody to retaliate against you. You don't want to die in here. And I said, are you threatening me? He said, no, no, I'm not threatening you. He said, but you know things, things happen. I said, well, I'm going to tell you what. This is why I'm not going to let this go. Because had I not written an amendment to the California Constitution, had I not had four senators and three assembly people back in the bill that I wrote and, and they're knowledgeable of who I am and my struggle with what I am going through up in here, this would have had a totally different outcome. Because he told me, he said, well, the system works. The system caught it, and it fixed it. That's why they said, no, the system did not work. If it wasn't for these people who, who I'm on their radar and they believe in me and the work that I'm doing, you know, taking interest in actually speaking up, y'all would have convicted me of this. You would have killed me dead. And I said, now, what about all of the other men that he's done this to in the past? And what about the ones that he'll do it to in the future if I just sit on my hands and don't say anything? You know, so not only mm-hmm. was he bold in it, but they, they actually tried to get me to just be quiet and leave it alone so he can go do it to somebody else. Brother Sammy, there's so much to say in so little time. I want to squeeze in one more question, and I want to play a music track. And when we come back on the other okay. side, we're going to talk about what is freedom, starting with what you believe freedom is at this point in your okay. life. But my first question that I, I want to ask before our music break is you talked to us the other day about endurance. you got to endure this. Like you endured 24 years of incidents like what you just described to us. And as you said, some where it didn't turn out in your favor. Uh, can you right. give a few words to the brothers and sisters out there that are listening, whether they're family members or those listening behind the walls, because we do have listeners inside uh, facilities. Can you give them some words about that endurance? Yes, I can. So to the people who are outside of the prison that have someone in there that they love, the one thing I will say is don't focus so much on what was, you know, focus more on what is, and what could be. These systems are designed to destroy our relationships. They take, they, they strip the black males from the community. They, they have our, our, our women who are doing things that they feel that they have to they need to do in order to get by or they're taking advantage of and they're turning the crime out of trauma. And no one's born evil or born bad. So instead of hawking on, you know, what they did to get there and how you didn't place them there or how they pissed you off before they went, just start anew. 
to start anew because we are all we have. And we have to endure all of the, the, the trickery, the deception, the, the divide and conquer strategies that they've been using for time immemorial, you know, and just be a, a wing. Because I was once told in everyone's life you're going to be a wing or a weight. So be a wing in that person's life. Sometimes they may need somebody just to talk to. They may just need a letter. It may be a phone call. That stuff makes all of the difference in the world. You know, just encourage them. And you, on the other hand, you endure and don't give up. Don't be discouraged when you go to visit them and you're met with aggression by the visiting processing officer or they're making the process difficult for you to get in or for you to send money or any of that stuff. That's what they Mm -hmm. want you to do is be discouraged. But we have to endure and stay strong, you know what I'm saying, on all levels. So I'll say that. And and, and just keep your word to the best of your ability because that's so important to people in prison, especially to their mind state because we depend on y'all. We need that support network. And now to the brothers and sisters inside the prison, I would say um, just endure, you know, what you're going through in order to get to the victory because it only takes that one bad decision, that one time for you to get fed up and say, you know what? I'm tired of being nice. I'm tired of being kind. I'm tired of turning another cheek. I'm tired of being the good guy. I'm tired of looking looking to the, looking into the horizon. If you do that, that one incident could be the one that closed the shop. So you have to endure in order to reach your goal. And sometimes your family members won't be there for you. Sometimes you may seem like you're all alone in the world. This is God making walking you through the fire and refining you so you can walk in your purpose. And so I would just say to when we're talking about endurance, in order to reach your goal, you have to. You don't have to conquer others. You need only be tough on yourself. You have, to, you have to do that. And you, it may seem, I'm going to say this and I'm going to close it out, Max, it may seem like you're just standing in one place, that you're not going anywhere, but the fact of the matter is you're building up, you're growing. And once you have the strength and the knowledge that you need to move forward, you're going to move forward at such a pace, you're going to think it just happened overnight, but it didn't. You had to endure to get where you are. So that's what I would say. Amen, and thank you for those sentiments, brother. Uh, we're going to open up the phone lines when we come back on the other side of our music break. If you have some comments, questions for Sam or Jamelia, the number is 515-605-9814. That's 515-605-9814. Remember to press the number one on your keypad so that we know you do have a question or a comment. With that, we're going to play this Max Mix, which has uh, a quote from Starting Life in Another World, Episode 22. Uh, We're going to have a little bit of Prince, Stand Up and Be Strong, and Nina Turner quoting Harriet Tubman. You're listening to Abolition Today with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. Our guests today are Samuel Nathaniel Brown and Jamelia Land. We'll be right right back after this. Abolition Abolition. 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 Keep fighting. Even if you have regrets, even if you're completely remorseful, you must fight on. If you've committed... If you've made the decision to stand against them, struggle and fight with all you have. Don't give up for one second, one moment, or one instant. Cling greedily to the victory you have within your sight. If you can still stand, if your fingers can still move, if all your teeth haven't yet broken, then stand tall to the bitter end. You mustn't ever stop. Are you telling me stronger? Hardly. I'm telling you to be strong. Stand up and be strong. 
I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. That was RE0, Starting Life in Another World, and that was accompanied by Prince, Stand Up and Be Strong, and it closed out with it, with Nina Turner quoting Harriet Tubman with the Keep Going. Welcome back to Abolition Today with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan, and we're joined by our guests, Samuel Brown and Jamelia Land. So uh, let's go back to the guests. Uh, Samuel? What do you think of That's the track? Right. <laughs> I thought it was amazing. Man. I love Nina. Yeah, I <laughs> thought it was amazing. I, I think uh, you have a talent for putting down mixes, Max. He does. Uh, he really does. You do. It, it, 
I mix it with a little prediction of circumstances. So as you're seeing, like almost everything that you was talking about was right there in that song, you know, and in the mix, you know, it just fit perfectly. Uh, you know, uh, pattern is. recognition. It's a win-win-win for me because I love I love Prince and I love Nina Turner also. Yeah, and Absolutely. that stand up to be strong is off his new album, Postmortem. Uh, man, Prince was dropping some jewels on that one. He really sure. was. So I have some accolades to share with uh, Jamelia and uh, Sam. This is from my mom. She texts me all the time throughout the show. She's an avid listener. And for one, Jamelia, she called you, you know, a fantastic, you're fantastic and you're a dedicated wife. And to you, Sam, she said that you really painted a clear picture, you know, so she's definitely appreciative of that. Uh Yes, indeed, man. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And Max, uh, she said, uh, and, and Max, she said, nice song, nice message. So she, you know, even, <laughs> she, she got everybody. Well, what man, about I me, feel that's right. <laughs> we be getting the mom stamp of approval over here, boy. For uh, real. That's one of the For best real. things you could ever do is do something that your mother's proud of. You know what I mean? Right. One of the best 100%. things you right. ever do. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, uh, know, she, she really. She, I'm sorry, she really lifts my spirit because I was really bummed out about not completing that poem. So hearing her say that <laughs> makes me feel really good. Uh, nah, she, she would tell you, don't even worry about that, that, you know, the right. message was received and the most important That's part right. got out over the air. Exactly. And Thank the video you. of you performing it is on our page as well. So if people want to see okay. it when you was in the car doing it with the shout-outs, they got it right there, uh, available right on our page at Abolition Today on Facebook. Um, Sam, let's start out with the get right into the topic, man. What is freedom? And before you answer, I did a little research, you know, because uh, I mean I don't want to assume that I know anything. Uh, so I started looking it up, and really all I could find was descriptions from people who didn't know a day of bondage in their life, <laughs> and they started talking right. about things like uh, this. Four types of freedom. They said at least four. Um, if I remember correctly, there's physical freedom, there's mental freedom, there's spiritual freedom, and there's economic freedom. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow. <laughs> like, how can you have any of the other three if you don't have the one? You know what I mean? Like, how is that even possible? You ever seen a slave with economic freedom? How does that work? I, I, I don't understand. <laughs> so, you know, as a brother who understands, who, as you said uh, earlier, that you with this now, you are so intimate of it, the workings of it, as well as how it even starts with our youth and the way that they're led towards criminality uh, through emotional illiteracy. Uh, tell me, what is freedom to you, brother? Thank you. That's a great question. You know, I gave it some thought. Um, and what I did not want to do was talk about what freedom is by saying what freedom is not. And so... I understand when we say freedom, it means to be free from something. And that's in every aspect, every sense. The only way you can be free, there always has to be something that that takes that freedom away from you. So what freedom is, is the state of being free from, and I, I definitely agree with those four um, aspects of freedom. I definitely agree. Hello? Yes, we're here. We're here. Okay, okay. I thought, I thought my Bluetooth died. Yeah, I definitely agree with those four aspects of freedom. But like you said, what are those without the key, the principal one? 
which is your actual physical freedom and your ability to make choices. So when we talk about the youth and how they are set up and designed to um, enter into the carceral system, we have, they, they say that, well, you had the freedom to choose. You didn't have to commit that crime. You, you know, you, you had your whole life ahead of you. You had the whole future ahead of you, so forth and so on. And now, on one hand, I'm, a, I'm definitely an advocate for accountability and responsibility. Make no mistake about that. However, I'm definitely also aware of the social ecological factors and, and the different spheres of influence in all of our lives, as well as the overarching systems, the, the, the social, the legal, the educational, the economic, and political systems that influence all of our lives. And to pretend that those are not factors in people's decision-making process or the choices that they have to make is to, to champion systemic racism because it's just clearly untrue. And so what freedom is, freedom is a level playing field. Freedom is the ability to be able to make choices autonomously and not merely options of pre-chosen choices, you know. And when I say that, it's like I remember being in my youth, it was like, do I sell dope or do I rob in order to get ahead? And then it became, well, do I have to do both even with a job to get ahead? Because the times were so tough and we weren't really having anything. It's like, okay, I want to go to school. I want to get out. I don't want to go to, the, I don't want to, go to prison. However, the job that I'm qualified to obtain at this time with, with such pressing circumstances, is, is not, it doesn't feel like it's going to be enough. My mom's all alone. We, she has a house full of children. She's working a numerous jobs. It doesn't seem like it's going to be enough. And so, and this is by design. You know, we all know that this is by design. When we live in these marginalized communities that, that have the resources being extracted from them and, and filling the coffers of, like, the private prison corporations, the immigration center operators, uh, you have these police patrolling our communities and criminalizing all of our youth. There is no freedom there. There is no freedom. And for those who are fortunate to make it out, it's because, first of all, the grace of God. Second of all, um, I don't even want to say luck because I just said the grace of God, but it's because of concentrated effort by the people who are in that child's life and then the, the sheer resilience and determination of the kid in and of itself, the baby in and of itself. And so as someone who just did 24 years, if you ask me what freedom is, um, I would just have to say, is being free from allowing my mind, allowing someone else's imagination to run off with my reality, right? From being free from the lies that have been told to me about me and the path that I had to take to succeed. Because I was made to believe as a youth that if I wanted to get out of the ghetto, then I needed to be an athlete, I needed to rap, I needed to sell dope, I need to pray on my own people. I need to be a pimp. You know, these were the celebrated routes. And not to say that somebody didn't tell me that I could be a doctor or any of that, but it, didn't just see, it just didn't seem realistic, nor that it would get the job done fast enough for the circumstances to which I was living and what I was presented. And so freedom for any of us would be um, a, a body, bro, a body of our own people with, with the resources and the ability to teach and break the chains of mental slavery that, that ultimately lead to the physical slavery. Many of us, that I, as I study inside the prison, many of us went to prison 
because we were trying to escape the prison that we were already in but didn't realize we were in. You know, it's like my community was San Quentin. My community was Pelican Bay. You know, we were financially locked in. Uh, we were financially in bondage. We were was socially in bondage. Like, I went camping yesterday, and it felt so good to be looking down upon the city from such high heights. I'd never, never done that in my life. And it's a shame. Just, it's a shame just thinking about all of the men and women who lived and died within a two-mile radius, never been out of their neighborhood, never been out of their city. That's incarceration. That's prison, you know. Like you may have heard me say before, prison is a, a, a parent that's addicted to a drug, and you have to come home from school not knowing what you're about to deal with because this person is, is falling under the pressures of everyday life of the systemic racist system that they're living under, and they're adopting um, substance abuse or alcoholism or prostitution or, or criminality as a way that they cope, and you're a baby living in this household. Where's the freedom in that? There is none. And so children, they don't necessarily know that they have to go deep within themselves and they'll try to safeguard themselves. It's not even their job. They're supposed to be safeguarded by a parent or by the community that they live in or the village that they're in. But our whole village is under attack. We're beleaguered from every angle, from every single angle. And what it does is it paves the way for us to go to the prison system. And then I remember the last time we were talking, it was like a body on the streets, a person, a human being has little to no wealth. But the moment that they step inside that prison, if they wealth, you know, uh, uh, their, their value increases exponentially. And so when we coming up in a system that doesn't see us as people that are valued in the community, but they see us valued once we get inside of one of their correctional or penal institutions, then our potential is being snatched from the communities. Our, our freedoms, you know, our freedoms to, to, to love who you want to love, to be who you want to be, or, or to just go outside and just enjoy yourself without the threat of violence. All of these are all of these are hampered. They're, they're like non-existent. But someone will be quick to pontificate and and tell you, well, you had a choice. You you know you had freedom. You you could have you could have chose something better. And it's just not always the case, man. So it's really deep. But freedom ultimately means to be free from. And for us as as black people in the press, it means to be free from all of the different types of oppression. You know, and. When you be leaguered, you're oppressed on every single level, and we have to push back on every single level from from the from the occupational fields where the women have glass ceilings and the men are oftentimes overlooked to the educational systems where the schools are underfunded and tore up and the officers are there just to try to arrest someone, so all the way to our communities where they're dilapidated and, and abandoned and the officers are patrolling them looking to not keep drama out, but actually, like, kill us and put us inside the prison. There is no freedom there. Um, I'm, so freedom for us is, like, free from the American, traditional American practices. Because that's, that's American brother. traditional practices. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. I, mm-hmm. I think we got a hand up. I want to bring you in. I appreciate you waiting patiently. Uh, 0636, you are live with us on Abolition Today. State your name, question, or comment. Peace, peace. And uh, I'll, I'll borrow a, a quote that y'all are familiar with, I'm sure. Uh, peace to the abolitionists. This is Tag. <laughs> What's happening, brother Tag? Hey, what's up, How you Tag? doing, man? 
Yo, yo, the, it's 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 tremendous the the build that is going on here. Um, you know, been having meetings all day, so I was not able to catch all of it, but I will be hastening toward the archives for sure. And um, you know, there's just so much that y'all brought out, and I know y'all keep it a, a, a tight ship uh, minutes wise. So I want to just just uh, present a couple of questions. Uh, from just what I've been hearing, and um, I just really appreciate so much, uh, Brother uh, Brown, um, you know, you're your sharing your insights in this way. And so uh, I, I guess I have a two-part question. Um, one is, and y'all probably covered this already, so pardon, again, I had to get on late, but um, is, is there any way that those of us that are on this call or listening, perhaps we'll keep the archives later, can support the uh, the legislation that, that y'all are pushing for in California that I know um, all of y'all, you know, were, were uh, a part of the process of. So just any, any pointers on that as far as how we can uh, positively, uh, you know, contribute to, to those efforts, and then um, to, as far as the inside organizing is concerned, um, and I know you, you spoke to uh, those on the inside and, and, and some of the, the methods that have worked for you, I really felt what you were saying, you know, that phrase of a, a wing or a weight, I think that that's extremely uh, useful and, 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 and portable, you know, um, for, for heads to, to ruminate on. But uh, is there any? Are there any uh, individuals that you would want to shout out that uh, were were um, helped to provide insights to you on the inside that that maybe don't get heralded as much? Because oftentimes, you know, um, the these the heads on the inside that are doing you know extraordinary work, PE, you know, organizing, et cetera. You know, a lot of them don't don't really get um, mentioned for various mm -hmm. reasons. So, is there anyone like that? that you would want to shout out, and also just for heads that are on the inside looking to organize, any uh, pointers or insights that, that you would want to share with them? Greatly appreciated. Wow. Uh, first of all, those are great questions. Thank you. And so I'll, I'll, I'll exercise some brevity and take it from the top. Um, as far as supporting ACA3 and the legislation that we're pushing, there's three things that I really would suggest that you or anyone that's not in California or in California could do. The first one is to get educated. Get educated on um, the 13th Amendment on the federal level so you can only also understand it not only in California but also in the state that where you are. But that way you can move from a more informed position. And with social media being the way it is, anyone in any location can influence somewhere in another location anyone in, in, in another location. So, um, one, by becoming educated on it, you may have some friends out here in California, someone that you're in touch with. And once you learn about involuntary servitude and how it's very much active here in the largest plantation state in America, then maybe you can talk to your friends about, hey, it's ACA3 taking place. There's some legislation going on in y'all state that y'all need to be paying attention to. We need you to get out and support it, you know, because this this like I said, again, with social media, we can all support each other in each of these states. All we got to do is start the conversation and, and educate folks. So that's one. And then two, the other one would be um, like financial support. And we're fighting against the prison industrial complex, and it's not cheap, 
and they have endless endless pockets. They they've been making money off of this for a long time, and so we have we have to pay you know out the wazoo to run this campaign, for campaign managers to public relations to getting the, getting the word out to galvanizing the voters to hold on. And so we definitely accept donations um, in order to do this work uh, ASAP. And we will get with Max, and ASAP is the Anti-Violence Safety and Accountability Project, our organization at Spearhead in the California Abolition Act Coalition. Um, we definitely need all of the financial resources and help that we can get. So we will get with Max and give him the information and, and Brother Yusuf so that they can provide it at the end of the show or post it on their site for anyone that's interested in that. And we would, we would greatly appreciate it. And so on the other note, on the other hand, about people who helped me become the man that I am today, yeah, it's, it's a host of them. You know, uh, I, learned, I learned from a lot of people. I sat at the feet of a lot of great sages behind those walls, um, from, from Brother Jazz all the way to the Master Articulator, to my boy LP, um, even – even to some people that worked inside of the prison who didn't necessarily agree with the way the system operated, you know, I, um, I'm very grateful to them, but I don't necessarily want to like, you know, just call out people's names at the same time. Cause it's still a, it's still a dirty system, but I did express my gratitude and appreciation to those people as I learned from them while I was in their tutelage and I'm in touch with many of them still. So I appreciate you asking that. And again, and so I'll just say this to all of the people behind those walls who do take the time to embrace younger people when they come in, younger men and younger women, we um, please keep it up because we need you. Because without y'all, I wouldn't be here right now. When I first came in, one guy gave me a, a knife and, and some weed and some drink and told me be cool. This other guy over here gave me a book. He gave me Before the Mayflower. Wow. You understand what I'm saying? And so it's a stark difference, and we need those guys that hand the youngsters the books. I became one of them guys. I became one of those guys. And so I appreciate your questions, man, and I hope I, I, hope I answered them correctly. Brilliant answers and, and fully appreciate it across the board, absolutely. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks for your input, Brother Tag. Uh, Brother Tag is an abolitionist out of New York right now. Um, tell them a, a little bit about how they can uh, reach out to you as well and the work that you're doing, Tag. Oh, yes, happily. Greatly appreciate that. So there's a Root and Branch Collective, NYC. So if you look up Root and Branch, you can find us on the various social media platforms. And we're always looking to connect with heads on the inside or the outside that are looking to do abolitionist work, particularly in the NYC slash tri-state area. So, again, that's Root and Branch Collective, NYC. You can hit us up on email, social media, et cetera. And um, also the In the Spirit of Mandela campaign, which uh, we've discussed on, on a previous broadcast before, but is basically looking to counter the genocide that the U.S. has been committing for all these years, you know, continuing in the legacy of, of so many uh, giants, you know, including Paul Robeson, William Patterson, et cetera, you know, just making clear that the U.S. is just committing genocide left and right out here, and we have to stop it. So um, that was started by, uh, you know, political prisoner, long-held, 
freedom fighter Julio Muntiki, and um, also repping the campaign to bring Mumia. Recently launched campaign uh, around Mumia, Love Not Fear, and that's fear spelled P-H-E-A-R. Um, that's Philly spelling, Love Not Fear. So, you know, we're, we're looking to make sure that Mumia comes home finally after all these decades in 2022. Thank you again, uh, Tag. Thank you, for Appreciate that. you for that. All right, so make sure yes, you sir, visit no enslaveryincalifornia.org, and you can find out how to help with the California efforts there. And on the national level, you can go to abolishslavery.us, and you can uh, join up there to help support on the national level. Uh, awesome. So to bring it back to the question of what is freedom, as I mentioned, I, you know, I was doing some reading up on it. I mean, I, I don't assume that I know what something is. I'm trying my best to figure it out, too, as we go along. We're kind of learning out loud here. Um, and I found some definitions, and uh, let me break down what I did find. Uh, one is the power to write or write to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Personally, I think that's an impossible dream uh, because that type of freedom means you're not being influenced by anything. And from the moment you wake up to the moment you uh, lay your head down, you are being influenced by thousands and thousands of different uh, uh, parts of the complex systems that we live in. The other definition was the absence of subjugation to foreign domination or despotic government. Now, that's the type of freedom spoken of in our Declaration of Independence. And the other definition I found, which is the one that I feel uh, is more close to how I see uh, freedom, is the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. It's very simple. (laughs) So when you put it like that, what is freedom? Right. Freedom is to not be enslaved. So then we go to the definition of slavery as we uh, shared through the Bellagio Harvard guidelines, which is slavery is the status or condition of a person over whom any or all of the powers attached to the right of ownership are exercised. And that can happen inside and outside of a cage. The systems that Brother Samuel Brown discussed earlier, you know, I often, I'm, I'm a very visual person as a poet, you know, and I often see things like this as an uh, like a farm with live cattle, and we're the cattle, and all of these complex systems are the sheepdogs. They keep pushing us towards the direction of the slaughterhouse where they want us to go. Uh, The past that we have to deal with are often very narrow in our communities. The resources are often uh, scarce, uh, and we are flush with slave catchers roaming our streets just waiting for us to make the mistakes that their children can get away with. Uh, So for Mm -hmm. me, I would believe that slavery is, I mean, uh, freedom is to not be enslaved. Uh, Let me pass it over to uh, Sister Jamelia. What what do you think of those, and do you have uh, an understanding of your own of what freedom means? Can you all hear me clearly? What? Yes. Okay, my apologies. My apologies. Um, I'm, I, you know, I'm constantly multitasking, um, visiting a family friend, and got a house for small human beings. So um, I'm not that fortunate. I am, um, in all honesty, I am really just sitting here enjoying the conversation. Um, 
I have so many thoughts that, you know, I've had the opportunity to sit and, and talk a lot on this show. And I really just kind of want to sit here and enjoy enjoy what I'm what I'm hearing. Uh, and I really it, it feels good to be able to just step back and just, you know, let Amen. Sam take the forefront. I, I feel yes. you. Yes, yes, yes. And I've been waiting for you know, for these opportunities, he, uh, he has so much to say. He, you know, every time he speaks, I'm learning something new, um, and it's inspiring and encouraging. And so, you know, I could go on and on. I think I think everything is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's all. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. I understand your position. Uh, Brother Samuel, would you like to comment on any of that? Yeah, I um. I like the way you worded it. I mean, straight to the point. And I know I was very verbose, but in the essence, we are saying the exact same thing. Um, to be, to have freedom, it means to just be free from. You know, you can't have freedom without being free from all of the various um, people or or socially constructed mechanisms that are designed to usurp your autonomy whether that's physically, financially, emotionally, or spiritually. And they are out there. They are out there. They're, de- they're designed to do it, and people stop at nothing to subjugate you because in your subjugation is some type of benefit for the next person, whether it be making them feel good or whether it be getting your resources or whether it be for um, corporate genocide or even race, racist, racism, you know. And so I, I'm, I'm of the same cloth of you that and that's what I was saying at the end earlier, was we can't we'll never be free from the the traditional American practice which is predicated and steeped in racism and oppression. Now, do I have the ability to say, you know what, I will not allow it to dictate how I carry myself? Do I have the ability to say I will not accept the story that they tell me about me as truth? I'm free from, yeah, I'm definitely free from allowing them to place their um, their their hands you know, on my thought process and making me think that I am who they want me to be. I'm free from that. But when we talk about being free from the constant attacks, I'm not free from that. When we talk about being free from having to adapt or maneuver or call an audible, I'm not free from that because they don't stop. They never stopped. The system, it, it, we wouldn't have to make an amendment uh, to the California Constitution if the Constitution was rooted in injustice to begin with, and if we could just rewrite it. If we could just rewrite the entire document and come anew to where it reflects, you know, the, the current complexion of the country and the state, then we wouldn't have mm-hmm. to amend it. But we have to amend it because it, it's broken. It's like we're just tacking on something. We're tacking on something that's already already damaged and terrible, you know. So I'm with you, Max, Brother Yusuf, that to be to have freedom means to be free from. And as long as we're here in, in the current situation, we'll never be free from those attacks. All Thank you, Samuel. Um, I want to ask another question, but first I want to make some commentary about what is freedom, and then I got a question for you. And after that, we're going to go to one more music break. And when we come back from the music break, I want to get your final comments for the evening, okay? So let's start with the comments in regard to what is freedom. Uh, This year, 
our main uh, our, our main narrative on abolition today is exercising your power to vote. As Yusuf had said earlier, it's not about somebody; it's about something ending slavery for the first time in history. With all these states having the uh, opportunity for the citizens to decide whether or not they want slavery in their state constitution. And I was reading up on some of Hera Arendt's uh, work, and she's a political philosopher, author, and Holocaust survivor, and her contributions influenced 20th and 21st century political theorists. And she was explaining that in truth, political freedom is the true freedom. And she was saying that because we live in a society And so there are certain liberties and constraints that we do have to have. But within that society, as long as you have political freedom, you're able to uh, manage your own destinies, so to speak. And I can understand that, and I feel that is a truth. Um, I'll offer you an opportunity to comment on that, and then I'll give you the question. Okay, well, the first thing that pops in my head is, to an extent, uh, first of all, what I'm going to say I'm not going against what the sister said. I agree that we definitely need political freedom. But what good does it have to do to, do to have political freedom without a standing military? You know, we can, we can be free as we want in our politics, but the second somebody decides to transgress against upon, upon us, we can't defend our politics or what we have. You know, so, again, it has to be freedom in all of these different aspects of society. We can't just have freedom in our emotions. You can't just have freedom in religion. You cannot just have freedom in economics. True freedom is in all of these areas of, of human life, especially as, as, as the way life is in, in this 21st century. You know, that's technology, that's education, that's politics, that's emotional, it's, it's, it's social, we have to fight back for freedom on every one of these levels in order to ascertain or, or attain actual true freedom. Now, you can have your freedom of mind state, but if we really want autonomy as a collective, then it requires a pushback on every single one of those fronts. So I, I'm with the political freedom, but at, at the moment we decide to transgress upon us, then we can't defend it. So it, it doesn't just stop with just political freedom. We need, we need freedom in every aspect of life. I, I feel you on that, and I understand when you made the comment that we don't have an army. The U.S. Army is supposed to be ours, but because uh, of the circumstances that we have to exist under, we don't feel like that is our army. And there was just a study that came out recently that uh, said that half, most of black Americans would rather be robbed or burglarized than have unprovoked encounters with police. Like, that's how we feel. We are so concerned that they'll murder exactly. us, like they did that brother in Fayetteville just a little while ago, a couple hours ago, that we don't want to have no contact with the police whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, that, it's, it's, exactly. it's, it's the division there where it's theirs versus ours, and we have nothing because what's supposed to be ours is being claimed by them. Um, so here's my last question for the evening, and we'll get into our music break and come back with our closing comments uh for 24 years brother you had to be concerned about your safety when you went to sleep when you laid in your bed when you moved about throughout the place i'm I, as i said earlier i don't want to assume 
But in this case, I would have to assume that you never really felt safe where you were at. Do you feel safe now? No, I don't. And do I do I feel that same immediate threat? No, I don't feel that same immediate threat. But the threat level is still here. None of us are safe in our own homes. I mean, look at Brianna. Look at Brianna Taylor. She was in her home. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the, the guy in Texas. He was in his home, minding his own business, when the little cop from downstairs, the lady came in there and shot him. We were eating ice cream. You know, so, and then I'm on parole. So they have their hooks in me. So at any given time, they can just, you know, bum rush me at any moment. And, and I have even less rights than everybody else walking around me. So to answer your question, no, I don't feel safe. Like, I just, like, like there's no threat whatsoever. But there is a distinction between the immediate threat I lived up under for the last 24 years versus where I am now. And that's the part of what keeps me on my toes, Max, because I haven't walked out of the prison and just let my guards down like everything is hunky-dory now. It's not. I now understand that I was in prison before I went to prison. So I just stepped back out here into this prison that most people don't even know that they're in. And I'm consciously aware of that. Mm. I thought you might say that, brother, indeed. Um, we have this sort of Damocles over our head all the time. And that's the thing that much of the country and world doesn't seem to understand because they don't experience it. It's the reason why we don't want to be around police, why we're afraid of police stops, because most of us got warrants we didn't even know we had, <laughs> you know? And it's all part of this system that is enslaving us. So thanks for your uh, commentary on that. Um, I can't tell you how much we appreciate having you here Thank you for this having evening. You. We're going to get into this music it's track. Uh, go ahead, brother. It's a pleasure, man. It's a pleasure. It's an honor and a pleasure. And I thank you all for having me and my wife, Jamelia. We are, we're going to take a quick music break, and when we come back, we're going to get your final comments for the evening, websites, places that you might want people to visit, and then uh, we'll get into okay. our closing segments. We're about to play Four Types of Freedom, followed by Donnie Hathaway. Someday we'll all be free. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, and also abolitionistcenter.com. Our guest today has been Samuel M. Brown and Jamelia Land. You're listening to Yusuf Hassan and Max Parthas. We'll be right back after this. Abolition Today There's physical freedom, spiritual freedom, there's mental freedom, and there's financial freedom. Some of us may be able to experience all, some may be able to experience one, some none. Things are moving 
What a voice, what a voice. So you just heard four types of freedom, and that was uh, followed by Donnie Hathaway, Someday We Will All Be Free. Uh, Welcome back to Abolition Today. Yusuf Hassan, Max Parthas with our guest Samuel Brown, and Jamelia Land. So let's jump right into it. Final comments for the evening, yes. Sure. Final comments because we're just short on time. Uh, Samuel, anything you want to tell the people, websites, telephone numbers, any, any, uh, anything, any want to, anything you want to let the, what, let the people know. Um, briefly, I'll just say in slavery in California.com, right? Uh, the Cal- and that's, and then the Cal- uh, .org, excuse me, in slavery in California.org, California Abolition Act Coalition, on, on Facebook, and I just want to close real briefly by saying this, that the fool's heart is in the house of laughter, the wise man's heart is in the house of sorrow, and freedom, much like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder, you know, and that's what I come to realize from this discussion, y'all, that 
what's free is what a person considers to be free. Harriet Tubman said, I freed thousands of slaves, and I would have freed thousands of more if only they knew that they were slaves. So the person that's content with sitting in their living room watching their big screen TV, working their nine-to-five job, going back and forth to their cubicle, they, or, or the person that's content with just their alcohol and their marijuana and their weed, as long as they don't get arrested by the cops, they might very well feel free. But for those of us who study history and we see what's taking place in our communities, we feel the sense of obligation to make a change and do something different and, and strive for true freedom. And so what I realized from this discussion, there's actual true freedom, but then there's also freedom that's in the hands of the eyes of the beholder. And so free, free is what you make it, unfortunately. But for the abolitionists, freedom is a totally eradication and destruction of these systems that are pressing us on all levels. And so that's all I had to say. And I thank you all for allowing us to come and be guests today. It's truly an honor and a pleasure. And I look forward to the day when you have me back. Amen, brother. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, That's right. Yeah, it has, certainly has been a pleasure and an honor, and we appreciate you giving us this interview so early after coming out. Uh, well, not even interview, just joining us in this discussion so early after coming out. Yes, the sir. insight was invaluable. Yes, Sister Jamilia, any final comments? No, he just he drops the mic. And, uh, <laughs> all, I, all I can do is come and pick it up and like kind of dust it off and be like. Uh, Russell Simmons, you remember how he used to do? Uh, uh-huh. Thank y'all. Yeah. Come out. And have a good night. See you next week. <laughs> no yeah. doubt. No and doubt. put the microphone uh-huh. back down. Right. So, yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you. Just thank you for having us. So Samuel, you and me you are going to have to collab on some spoken word, man. So uh, look for uh, a call from me. We're going we're gonna to do something together. Oh, we gonna, no problem. We can have it on a book also. Uh-oh, there we go. Yeah, all right. for sure, yeah. for sure. With That's right. That, That's all right. that being said, we want to go ahead and give a quick shout-out to our sponsors, and then we're going to get into our final segment for the evening, which is our Bridging the Gaps segment, where we bring the ancestors' yeah. lives, our words, back to life for a new generation. And this week we're going to have an excerpt from David Walker's appeal read by none other than Daryl DMC McDaniels. And that's going to be followed by Rebecca Freedom. You're going to love this one for sure. We're taking it out right. Brother Yusuf? Got to fly through this. Uh, Thanks to our sponsors and partners, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Sama Urge Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, Black Talk Radio Network, in the Abolished Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash abolition today. For all the news, information, and music you hear on the program, we're also available on all major podcast platforms. We're simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. Join the movement at abolishslavery.us to become part of the solution. You can also text in the exception to 52886 and follow the prompts. This will send a signed petition on your behalf to your congressional reps in support of the proposed 28th Amendment to repeal and replace the exception clause to the 13th Amendment. We're going to head into our uh, Bridging the Gap. We'll be back next Sunday, January 16th, God willing, inshallah, with another master class on slavery abolition. I'll close with a quote, as Malcolm X would say, if you're not willing to die for it, put the word freedom out of your vocabulary. So, Max, any final comment? Yes. I'm going to give him a quote, too. You know, uh, George Clinton said, free your mind and your ass will follow. Harriet Tubman said, free your ass and your mind will follow. 
It's easy to tell who was talking to those in actual bondage. See you guys next week. Peace. (laughs) Peace. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. In 1829, David Walker, a son of a slave but born free in North Carolina, moved to Boston. The next year, he published a pamphlet, Walker's Appeal to the Colored Citizens of the World, which became widely read and infuriated Southern slaveholders. The state of Georgia offered a reward of $10,000 to anyone who would deliver Walker alive and $1,000 to anyone who would kill him. Here is an excerpt. I asked the candid and unprejudiced of the whole world to search the pages of historians diligently and see if anyone ever treated a set of human beings as the white Christians of America do us, the blacks. I also asked the attention of the world of mankind to the declaration of these very American people of the United States. A declaration made July 4th, 1776. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, Governments are instituted among men, deriving that they're just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of the government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it. See your declaration, Americans. Do you understand your own language? Hear your language proclaimed to the world July 4, 1776. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Compare your own language above, extracted from your Declaration of Independence, with your cruelties and murders inflicted by your cruel and unmerciful fathers in yourselves, on our fathers, and on us, men who have never given your fathers or you, the least provocation. Now, I ask you candidly, was your sufferings under Great Britain 100th part as cruel and tyrannical as you have rendered ours under you? Some of the whites are ignorant enough to tell us that we ought to be submissive to them, that they may keep their feet on our throats, and if we do not submit to be beaten to death by them, we are bad creatures and of course must be damned, etc. If any man wishes to hear this doctrine openly preached to us by the American preachers, let him go into the southern and western sections of this country. I do not speak from hearsay. What I have written is what I have seen and heard myself. The Americans may be vigilant as they please, but they cannot be vigilant enough for the Lord. Neither can they hide themselves where he will not find them and bring them out. Tears fall on your lips Even as you take another sip And call from all you've smoked the night before Didn't lose the war So stand back up and be a man Hold yourself complete again 